You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. A. Actually, I guess I didn't say A that much there. Sorry, guys. (laughs) I'm so sorry. We're covering a documentary today that was filmed entirely in Wisconsin. Don't you know? Mm -hmm. So it was so fun to listen to. And that's, I had to to kick that in there. So 100%. Part of my beef, I don't know what I want to call it. Like there's a word pronounced in here that is just incorrect as fuck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just drove me nuts the whole time. So, and it did get called out. I appreciate that. So, it did. Yes. Oh my God, you guys. uh, We're going to dive right in because today we're talking about American movie. This was done in 1999. It's an hour and 47 minutes long. I got it on Tubi. You can also rent it on Prime. And directed by Chris Smith, who also did the recent Wham movie documentary and did Fire and a few others that we've seen or covered. So, yeah. Yeah. This is early days. So the gist of this movie is Mark Borchardt. Is that how you pronounce that? Borchardt? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Mark. Yeah. Sure, Dan. <laughs> he's, he's our main character, if you will. He has wanted to be a movie uh, director, producer, making movies his entire life, essentially. And so we're following him as he's trying to get more than one movie made. Right. Yeah. Kind of trying to grow his brand, I think is a good way to say it. Yeah. This is super grassroots. Like, I was unprepared for the level of grassroots this was. (laughs) But I think it's interesting that he started off with, like, Halloween radio like radio shows, mm-hmm. something called The Creeps, which mm-hmm. I was like, oh, a radio show would be so fun to do like that. Like old timey ones. Right. So, so fun. Yeah. Fairy War of the Worlds. Yeah. Can we also say that it took me about halfway through the movie to realize who he reminded me of? And? Laszlo Hollyfield. Oh. Doesn't it? What a great call out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just the way he talks and his mannerisms, he's totally Lasso Hollyfield. So, and the hair is yes is also aligning nicely. Yes, yes. So this is released in 1999, but it was filmed between what, like 95 and 97, 8, 97 ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This cat has hair from like, I would say the mid to late 80s. Yeah, it's a part. It's a business in the front, party in the back. For sure. It's something. It's got a good feather some days. Better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. this is all uh, this is all done in Milwaukee, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so the people that are in this with Mark are the people in his immediate orbit, right? Family members, close friends, childhood friends. Mm-hmm. They do bring in some folks from other projects or you know they do some advertising and stuff for cast Mm -hmm. 
But initially, Mark is trying to get people together to work on a movie called Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what Northwestern about um, other than it's not horror and it's somewhat reflective of Mark's life. Right. That's that's so, all we get. We do yeah. get to see some auditions of the cast reading the script. Um, that was interesting because Mark is very particular. Like most people who owned something that's theirs, they have an idea in mind. And these people were not getting his idea. So he was like, I'm going to have to go in there and show what I want. And I thought, well, you know, Eddie Murphy played all the parts in his movies. Sometimes you could just do that too, play all the parts <laughs> and they're all the way you want it. Right. <laughs> to be fair though, I think that he is starring in most of these, mm-hmm. right? He is. Yeah. From what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was his initial intent or he just couldn't <laughs> find the right energy from anybody else. I, I'm not sure. Just forced into it. Is he? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Okay, so there's a cat named Tom Schimmels, who's an actor starting out with a radio show. He makes an appearance later. There's a guy named Mike Shank, who's a childhood friend, and he's helping out with several of these films. He's the Quotey Fingers music guy, and I have to laugh because I have a cousin, like a distant cousin, and his name is Mike Shank. They are not the same guy. (laughs) Such a shame. Such a shame. (laughs) Right? I know I could have a brush with fame, unfortunately for me. (laughs) They do let us see some of the table read for the recording of Creeps. And it is the stuff of my dreams. It is like people sitting around and they're right in front of a microphone and they have like a a sock or something on it to keep from for the pops. Right. We've talked about that. If you use a microphone, you have to watch those peas and stuff like that. So maybe Mm. that helps with that a little bit. But the facial expressions and the things they are saying are so fun. So they are. Well, and I like that that's what it took for him to realize he really wanted to make a movie because he's watching Mm -hmm. them read his script. It's his story that he wrote. And he realizes once he's given it to them and they're performing, he doesn't have any control over it. Like he's passed it on. He doesn't. He's not able to direct it. It sounds like they didn't rehearse it. They just went in and read it, which seems really <laughs> weird. But that's why he's like, you know, I need more control. He needs more control in life. So said every man. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we get to the part where Mark is handing out flyers for casting. Uh, this is for Northwestern. It's at a public library. And boy, oh boy, do they bring in some real gems which you happen to discuss when you were talking about some of the auditions. Would you kind of like to tell us a little bit about how Mark demonstrates what he'd like to see more of? Screaming is what I got, right? (laughs) They, they, they were having some kind of conversation about a phone bill and, and calling Mm -hmm. after hours and it was more expensive. I don't, if you're too young, you won't get that reference, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, But apparently it was supposed to be, someone was supposed to be irate over a $130 phone bill and they just were not getting that anger out at the other person. I mean, it wasn't coming through. And that was that was 1990s money, too. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. I think one of my favorite things about Mark is that he, 
he's very knowledgeable about film and the process. Cause mm -hmm. just ask him, he'll tell you, <laughs> but he starts like when they, they have their first meeting for Northwestern and you've got all these people here and he starts off saying, I'm going to tell you why films fail and why films succeed. And then he goes on and on, but he never tells us anything about why films fail or succeed. I, he just skipped over that. It's a great introduction. Mm -hmm. And then he talks that it's going to be shot in black and white. Yeah. And he's so confident. It sounds like he believes that the funding is going to come through for this, but we've not talked about it at all. And everybody's like, is this for real? Is this legit? And he doesn't really give you any details on that. It's just like, whatever your part is, why don't you just worry about that? Mm -hmm. And I will manage the rest. And don't worry, I can already see it all in my head. And so you don't have to worry about it. You, you'll know that I know that you know right. I know. I don't know. With the funding, I find that interesting. Because on one hand, it is very grassroots. But we've seen that before. So Evil Dead, they family, friends, local places, you, you know, they went to everybody they could possibly get money from and got money to make Evil Dead. And look what happened. It's amazing. It's horrible and amazing all at the same time. <laughs> so good and terrible. Yeah. Right. And Sam Raimi is one of the most famous directors now ever. So well done, sir. Mm -hmm. And then also with Clerks, right? They did the same thing with Clerks, borrowing money from friends and family, and they've become very successful. And Kevin Smith is very successful. So it's not out of the realm of believability that you would get funding and be able to do this movie and make something amazing, right? Even if it's just a cult classic that goes down in history like that. Right. Absolutely. I guess part of the confidence that I see in Mark comes from some of the things that he's doing. So he's scouting locations. He seems to really have a clear vision. So he's telling you how he's going to do these shots. And it's, I, I believe him that, you know, that he's talking about the framing and how it's going to go. And I mean, like that seemed really professional to me. Right. He does have like the whole thing in his head before he even starts. It's not like, well, I've got mm -hmm. an idea and let's flesh it out. It's like, I have everything. I have what it should look like. And I think the only problem with that is, especially when you're working on it with a very small, non-existent budget, it's hard to make that become real, right? Because you have this grand idea of what it's supposed to look like with a shoebox budget. So I think he does a really good job of using his resources and using what he mm -hmm. has to make it work. And he is extremely mm -hmm. persistent. So, yes, I will give him that. Uh, part of me wonders if I find that an interesting or intriguing quality, because I feel like most of the time I'm flying by the seat of my pants. Like I have no fully developed plans, but I'm just like, well, we're going to stumble through this and see how it goes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So far it's worked in life. Right. So he has that pulled together, right? The vision is pulled together. And then on the other side of the coin, he's working in his car at the airport to do his writing. And it's so, it's such a weird change of gears. I'm like, he's like, well, there's nobody here to distract me. And I'm like, are the planes not distracting? Are the, I mean, I don't know how many are flying in and out. Maybe it's not that big of an airport, but I'm like, can't go in a basement or the library. You obviously know where it is. Right. 
I have no idea. I think what's the most amazing to me is that he doesn't really have a real job. So he's delivering newspapers for like the last 10 or 15 years he's been delivering newspapers. So as we all know, that's a job for a 10 year old. And so it doesn't pay a whole, whole lot. And then eventually he gets a job at a graveyard as well. Um, but it still seems like a part-time gig, you know, and he's near 30 when this starts. He's older, older than 30 by the time we finish. He's got three kids. I think he lives with his mom. I could be mistaken, but I think he lives with his mom. And I'm just like, my dude, in my opinion, you have nothing but time to get this done. <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. He he does rant later on about, I'll never be one of those fucking people who works 40 fucking hours a week. Blah, blah, blah. Like we're all horrible for surviving in a way that makes us comfortable. You sold out to the man. I did. That is the read that I get Absolutely from that. Did. And I'm like, yeah, because my choices changed when I, well, before I had children, but certainly when I had children and I had to provide for the children mm -hmm. and I didn't leave all that shit up to my baby mama. Because um, <laughs> we were the baby mama. Right. She must be a saint, oh. this lady. So, I mean, they kind of show him uh, from a distance kind of having a Spat. disagreement. I mean, it's not like a, you know, super dramatic, but you can tell from their body language that it's not a good talk. Mm -mm. Yeah. And they, they don't seem to be together. So there is some mm -hmm. soap opera-esque quality to this documentary, oh, yeah. that part of it. I was so invested. I'm like, ooh, I'm like getting popcorn out. <laughs> what's he doing now right the tea the tea on one hand i understand you don't want to give up on your dreams mm -hmm. but on the other hand your dreams are not paying for you to survive or paying for your children's food and things like that so that's one of those things that yep on the weekends this is what i'll do during the week i'll do this you know it's it's there's nothing wrong with being a grown-up and being able to afford your own food agreed we do have some discussion with some family members, right? Um, his mom, Monica, he has a couple brothers, Alex and Chris, I think is the other one. Mm -hmm. And they, they do talk about him from a similar perspective. Like he's always been a bit of a dreamer, right? He's always been very interested in film. Mm -hmm. However, he's had some problems in his life kind of getting it together, right? So he's a high school dropout which we know people can overcome that, right? They can get back on the horse. <laughs> right. I, I don't want to look down on anyone who's dropped out of high school since I dropped out of high school. Right. And But I did go to college. His excuse, he said he dropped out of high school because he didn't feel like they were teaching him anything. So the school of life it is, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I, that to me seems very interesting. However, he does join the army, right? And I believe you had to have at mm -hmm. least a GED or diploma to join the military. So he apparently went forward and got that. So that's good. Right. Something happened in the meantime. Mm -hmm. The family kind of focuses on the fact that the army didn't really work out for him. Like he came back from the army. There's not really much more said about it, but it's, it's sort of framed as in, well, he couldn't hack it. Right. So they are aware that he's a bit of a dreamer, has trouble with the real, you know, real world or whatever the, you know, kind of being a productive person, but at the same time, somewhat supportive. It's a strange dynamic. 
I don't think his brothers him. are supportive. The one I want to say was Alex. <laughs> okay. In particular was like, man, eh, I think he's best suited to work in a factory. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. That's good work. It's consistent work and you get paid very well, but this guy will have no part of it. Okay. But then he later says he always thought Mark would grow up to be a stalker or a serial killer. The fuck? You said that on camera, sir. Um, let me be honest. He does have that kind of intensity when he wants to have it. Yeah. He is uh, remarkably focused. And I don't see a lot of people in his life saying no to him. Correct. But those are things we think real loud. We don't say them on camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a flattering portrait of Mark in some cases. Yeah, he, one of the brothers also said, you know, he's super smart, blah, blah, blah. But his greatest gift is his mouth and he can, you know, just his words. And I thought, are we, are we listening to the same person? Are we talking about the same person? Because I don't think he could convince me to do anything, but other people, sure. Because you're, like you said, he believes in himself so much that other people believe in him as well. Right. So we do have an uncle in this scene. His name is Bill. I fucking love Bill. Oh, <laughs> so much love him, Bill. Okay. So, I mean, he's an older guy. I would say in his late 70s, 527. I mean, it's possible. He's really old. Yes. And he lives by himself. He does talk about a, a wife, a former partner who died some time ago, and that was difficult. And you kind of, one gets the sense that maybe Bill didn't ever really come back from that. <laughs> so good. But he is really the focus of Mark for the investor, right? He wants some of them dollars. And it is known in the family that Bill has some money, although like Scrooge McDuck, he is tight with a penny. Yes, but Scrooge McDuck at least spent money on himself. This cat does not even spend money on himself. Like he lives in a in a trailer, which I've been in some beautiful trailers. This is not one of those. This is one that's been mm -hmm. run down because he's living on his own. And like you said, he's like right. 90 years old. Mm -hmm. So he's not taking care of it. I, I don't know that he could take care of it. And he doesn't have someone else to do that. So yeah, that money's just sitting there waiting. So Mark is in the trailer being persuasive as he can be. I think it's a stroke of brilliance or manipulation, a little bit of both, that he's showing Bill the actresses that are, mm -hmm. you know, up for the parts. And I was like, it's effective, <laughs> I guess, or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, it's something. So I can't remember <laughs> if that was for Northwestern or if it was the other movie. Because he wasn't able to get as much funding for Northwestern as he wanted. I think in all this part, it is still framed as Northwestern before we switch over. And that is really due to the fact that Mark is unsatisfied with their progress. Coming into a hot 11 days before they start filming, um, they don't have any money. The cast is not finalized. There's no copy. Like, the script is not done. And the locations are kind of scant. They haven't really flushed any of this out. So what does Mark do? Well, Mark decides to put that on hold for the time being and go back to a previous movie that he had started. They said a couple years before 
and they originally made it sound like they had one or two shots left to be done and then they film the whole movie. So I'm not sure what the situation was, but um, he's going to return to his short film called Coven. It's spelled C-O-V-E-N, mm-hmm. which the rest of America would say Coven. But he doesn't like the way that sounds, Aaron. He doesn't. I mean, that's an error in grammar, Mark. So, <laughs> Yeah, because one of the actors actually calls him out on it later. He's like, that's not right. And he was just like, well, I don't like the way Coven sounds. <laughs> Okay, oh, so good. And I kept thinking they were saying COVID, but this is 1999, so COVID was 20 years away. Right. So, and you just they say it over and over and over again, and I think eventually we see it written uh, or <laughs> yes. printed, and we're like, "What? That's not. That's not what that says." So the premise for COVID, mm-hmm. it is a drunk guy has basically ruined his life, mm-hmm. and at the behest of a his very last friend, he's going to go to group therapy. Mm-hmm. However, we find out that this group isn't so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I would say not only unhelpful, but possibly downright destructive, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. So his idea is to make this short, it's about 35 minutes, I think. And use the money from the distribution. This will go straight to video and use the money from the distribution to pay for Northwestern. He has it all written down. He's not even going to do small sales. Think big, Aaron. Think big. And the way this is portrayed in the documentary, it's like Katie Porter whiteboard style. Yes. And it's all like graphed out as if you were doing a sales pitch, right? And then he takes his hand and he just wipes it all out because he's just so frustrated artistically (laughs) and so dramatic and so funny. But then he continues to point where the numbers were (laughs) and talk about the numbers that aren't there anymore. (laughs) Brilliant. This guy is something else. And they're still hounding Bill for money. And my favorite is they're like, think about you know, your future and all this. And I'm like, this man doesn't have a future. What are you talking about? Right. Kind of selling him on like, you could be a producer. I know. <laughs> and he's like, oh, God. you could have them credits. I'm so yeah. tired. He's just so tired. He's like, oh, <laughs> it's so funny the whole time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so we start filming Coven. And again, he frames it like we have one more shot to do. We just have a couple of scarecrows. This is the dead of winter in Wisconsin, which is northern U.S. It's close to Canada. So really cold in the winter. Mm-hmm. And it's in the middle of winter and they're filming this. And I'm like, okay, we're moving on. And then we move on to film the rest of the entirety of the movie. So what did they start before? Nothing? I mean, I don't know. I think Mark is a kind of high on himself and the work that he's done. So he probably thought he had more than he did. Mm. My favorite part is if he makes a decision that it's a filming day and you are anywhere in his vicinity, your ass is being drug out into the woods. Like his mom, she's like, look, I got shopping to do. I got stuff. And he's like, I only have days to get this done. And so he drags around into the woods with a bunch of other people. They're in like, I don't know, like 
scream costumes like what's that guy's name oh something ghost face, face right? yeah ghost face yeah except without the mask right mm-hmm. it's just a black it's like outfit a cloak yeah yes no features can't see the features which is convenient since just the eyes right just the eyes are cut out <laughs> right so you have to go out into the woods and uh, part of the time they're dragging him through mud and like water. And then they're like, oh, you have to do it again because you didn't squirm enough. It is hysterical to watch this filming in action. Yeah. Well, and keep in mind that all you could see are these people's eyes. Barely, right? This barely cut out. These are handmade scissors cut these out. Well, the scissors weren't handmade, but you know what I mean? And so I do. He's filming and he goes, okay, can you guys make it look more menacing? And I'm like, I don't even think Tyra Banks could do that, sir. You can barely even see the eyes. Right. It's brilliant. Yeah. So at some point we find out that Mark is half Christian, half Satanist. Don't those just cancel each other out and then you're just human? Just just neutral? (laughs) Yeah. Because he's... I think he wants to think of himself as a bit of a philosopher, right? Like an observer of life. And he's got good words from time to time. And then he just ruins it with something. And I'm like, you've got to get in like one camp or the other. He's all over the place. And it's so funny to watch, but I'm sure the people in his life are like, oh my God, this is exhausting. It would be exhausting, right? I just, and he can be so condescending to those around him. At one part, they're doing sound clips for this movie, and they have our best friend Mike was like using a bat to hit like car windshields and breaking glass and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Mark is like, "Was that cathartic?" And Mike was like, "Yeah, it was cathartic." And Mike said, "Do you know it?" Or Mark says, "Do you even know what that means?" And Mike said, "Nope," <laughs> which I love him for. And then Mark was like, "Well, I think it means so. You don't know either. You're just using it." And you don't know either, so stop it. Well, the problem is, Mike is lovable. Yeah. Like, he's not playing with a full deck, in my opinion. Correct. But he is a sweetheart. And you just want to give him a hug. Yes. Absolutely. And possibly a haircut. But other than that, yes. Absolutely. Please. Please do. So, there's a lady named Joan Petrie Mm -hmm. that comes on the scene. And initially, I thought she had something to do with the movie. Is she like a location scout or something like that? Associate producer and location scout. Yep. Okay. There Mm -hmm. you go. So I was half right. We find out that she's Mark's possible new girlfriend. That's what I was going for. Yeah. And I'm like, is she 40 years old? Thank you. And should know better than this? She's a snappy dresser. She's got some very 90s uh, blazers and shit like that she looks like a lady who should know better than to date a mostly jobless man with three children listen Aaron he's got plans and ideas and if he just carries out 25% of what he says he's going to it's still more than most people will ever do in their life so you know I hope he's I hope he's hung for her sake because she better be getting something out of this something but she does look like 15 years his senior, right? I mean, like, she's like my age. And if I asked you if I'd look like that and you said yes, I might cry. So, yeah. I mean, we we do have a pact that if my hair 
gets bad or like my makeup is too frosty or whatever, it is your job as my bestie yeah. to please intervene. I'm here for you. You can't let me go out looking like that. Absolutely yeah. not. Mm. So yeah, this is kind of where we find out that Mark has kids. The baby mama is Alyssa, although they don't mm-hmm. necessarily show her. Right, she probably opted out, I would Good guess. Good for her. Good mm-hmm. for her. I wasn't sure how much Alyssa knew about Joan or Joan knew about Alyssa, but it, it appears as though Joan does know about Alyssa, who knows what stories are being told because Alyssa does not live with Mark. She apparently is living with someone else for the last three years, another man. And it, it's just so juicy and horrible at the same time. Yeah, it. I would have such anxiety at the center of this. <laughs> yes. It's just, and I feel bad because these kids look very sweet. They help. I mean, they help with filming. They help with editing to the extent that they're there and they're really not helping at all, but like they're involved and he seems to be involved with them as well, which is lovely. And there is some issue with him. He talks about being behind on child support. Obviously there's a lot of debt when you're making a movie and your only income is Toss in newspapers. And, you know, Alyssa has threatened to take the kids. But is that real? Is it not? You know, we're getting one perspective. So I, I don't want to say anything about Alyssa because I don't know anything about her. And she's probably struggling just to take care of these three kids herself. So I will not say anything negative about that woman. A hundred percent. Mark makes some bad decisions. Mm. He took those children to see apocalypse now yeah he did seems like a bad move yeah these kids are all under the age of like 10 so (laughs) yeah like what Mm -mm. Mm. yeah what's interesting is they flash kind of the timeline and so at one point they're like summer 1996 and i had to stop and think what was i doing in the summer of 1996 like i was almost 21 i was working for the airlines Mm -hmm. traveling around on my days off because I could fly for free. I was living a pretty sweet life that year. That was a good year. Yeah. Sounds lovely. What were you doing? I had just graduated high school. Oh. Getting ready to go to Purdue. Yeah. 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 Good times. <laughs> we're so fucking old. <laughs> I know. I'll tell you what I wasn't doing. I wasn't filming a movie mm-hmm. where I was trying to put somebody's head through a cabinet door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed watching that so much because they would try it. And it's like a little bit of um, the wrestlers, like the professional wrestlers. And like, you know, you get hit with a chair, but you don't really because there's, you know, some sleight of hand going on. But the door isn't breaking right. So they have to like rig it up and like plaster a Paris it back together or something. So it doesn't look like it's already chopped through so that you can just run somebody's head in there. And then the next shot is, the guy's face is covered in fake blood. Oh, it was so good and terrible. Yeah. It made me so happy. All I could think of was, so they took like a regular piece of wood and scored it so it would break easier. Smart thinking. My suggestion for future filmmakers out there, get particle board. It'll break so easy. <laughs> and then just paint over it. You can't tell. And I'm just a girl and have built very few things in my life, but I at least know that. So just so this person doesn't get a concussion in the future. I'm here for you. Right. Cause they had to do like 10 takes on this thing. 
I know. And he kept doing that. And he's like, oh, gosh, sorry, my dude. And I'm like, yeah, oh, and like I think that's Tom. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's starting to get a bit of a headache or feeling dizzy or whatever. And I'm like, Jesus, okay, no OSHA violations here. No, none. Yeah. <laughs> we do see a lovely Thanksgiving dinner with Uncle Bill and Mike and Joan. And now his mom has gone to have Thanksgiving with her other children, her other sons who are less eccentric as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is more of a friends gathering, but this is the one time that I feel like Mark showed that he's a human who can think about other humans and not just himself. Okay. Right. Because he was taking care of Bill. He helped him take a bath, um, you know, and got him all cleaned up and let him nap and stuff. It was just a very nice gesture because I know a lot of people when it comes to elderly people don't, really want to help and they don't realize how hard it is for them to do themselves and he just he just did it so I thought that was lovely right mind you he also got Bill wasted on peppermint schnapps and Sprite Sprite you I know peppermint schnapps and Sprite Mm -hmm. I wasn't I I was trying to make that what that would taste like in my mouth I'm not going to try it because I don't want to throw up but I'm like oh gross Brush your teeth and and then drink a Sprite. I It would taste like that. <laughs> we haven't really hit on the alcohol consumption in this show yet. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Mark's been drinking since he was born. He talks about being a youth and just drinking his balls off. Mm-hmm. In fact, that seems to have been his bet or like his um, most identifiable influence. That's horrible, but yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess I feel like where they live, although it is Milwaukee, they seem to live in kind of the outskirts. And so there's not much to do. And it's cold a lot and gross a lot. And so what do you do? You you drink. Even as a kid, you would drink just to do something. Mm-hmm. Or do drugs. A lot of kids would do drugs and stuff like that. So I get it. I don't necessarily condone it, but I understand it. Yeah, it's it's hard because it's not painted as a celebratory thing. It's more of a necessity sort of situation. And many of the people in the circle are in the same boat, right? Certainly Mike, Ken Keen, which is another guy that's uh, a star of <laughs> of the movies. But there are some people with some potential problems here. They don't really see it that way. They're not really concerned. But I was. Right. I think what's interesting is Mike had talked about doing drugs and I think possibly drinking, but he doesn't anymore. And he's been clean for like a year and a half, I think. But he is now a gambler. So he's traded one addiction for another, essentially. And he's like, well, you know, with uh, with playing the lottery, you could win or you could lose. I'm like, well... Yeah, those are your choices. <laughs> you know, but doing drugs, you always lose. And I get that. But I think there are other options to spend your money. I don't think those are the only two options for where to spend your money. But Right, because he talks about doing $10 worth of scratchers a day. Yeah. Yeah, which could be a scratcher. I think he's getting like the $1 or $2 ones, but still. Right, right. 
but he also tells stories about having done what he thought was acid and turned out to be PCP and he ends up in the hospital and they thought he was going to die and he just continued to do drugs. And I thought, okay, I can see why maybe you quit eventually. Right. So dedication in the wrong area. Yeah. So then after Thanksgiving, Mark talks a little bit about feeling some depression, channeling it into Northwestern. He did start filming that six years ago. So I think movie making is a long and arduous process. I think the women in his life at some point, this is sort of on and off again, right? So Joan has left at one point. Alyssa's pissed constantly, I assume. And he's also been able to, or is about to finish shooting Coven. Right. So once the filming is done, for the most part, he can start editing. So he's using the university resources to edit. I don't know if you have to pay for that or not. I know I used to use the library to edit, but it was not tangible film. So Mm -hmm. either way, he goes in this little room, he takes his kids, they sleep on the floor. It's a little bit crazy. It is. This is like a very physical process, Mm -hmm. which was very interesting to see because like they have the reels and reels of film and they're like clipping it out and then Mm -hmm. sectioning it back together. Like literally cutting and cutting bits out physically. Yes. Mm -hmm. And like all the frames are numbered and they're like selecting which ones to, you know, end up on the cutting room floor, as they say. But to watch part of that process, I was like, that looks exhausting. It looks miserable. Right. I mean, even digital editing, this was again, back in the nineties, but digital editing, they said for every minute of film, it takes about an hour to edit. And I thought, well, that's horrible because we just did a music video, which was a couple hours or a couple minutes long. So that didn't take that long, but this process, holy shit, that just looks horrible. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And again, there's dedication, right? So Mike's in there, Mark's in there. Um, I'm not sure if there was anybody else that I saw besides the kids. I don't know how helpful they are, but he's not in it all by himself. Yeah. Later on, you do see like the end uh, end times rush, as it were. They had Ken in there. Mm -hmm. You had Mike, you had Joan, you had his mom, everyone kind of in there putting this together as they're racing to get it ready. But he's still at this point, as he starts editing, he's still recording extra audio and... My absolute favorite, absolute favorite was Mike, who is this real chill, real quiet guy. And all of a sudden he just belts out this scream like I've never heard before. And I'm like, holy shit, Mike, I didn't know you had it in you. My favorite part is also about this this time where he's adding Bill, because not only does Bill need some producing credits, yes, Bill needs some acting credits too. So Bill's sitting in a car and they're trying to get him to say, <laughs> and I quote it's alright it's okay there's something to live for Jesus told me so end quote and Bill cannot get through it to save his life he's putting the sequences in all the wrong places his false teeth are clacking together <laughs> it's absolutely a riot and it's unintentional right it's just like Perhaps not a great choice of, Mm. but his voice, when you see it and they show you the clip at the end where this has been included and Bill's face is in there, but they're trying to like get the sound to match up to Bill's Mm. mouth and it's not going well. (laughs) So funny. 
it, but it, like you said, it did work really well in the film. So yeah, they did a really good job there. But it was so I laughed so hard watching them <laughs> trying to get that. And it's like thirty takes in, mm-hmm. right? And they've got like the big boom mic over to Bill, and he's like, "It's all right." Jesus told me so. It's so funny. It is so funny. Just for that, please watch it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bill is just on point. I felt like, couldn't you have edited that language together? Like, okay, he did the, the first part, the it's all right, it's okay. And then he would like putter out half the time. And I'm like, okay, so start with the next part. You can like cut it in. You can edit it. But he had to do it all in one go. And I mean, there's just not enough breath in this cat to, to do that. <laughs> and he's like, can we be done? It's so sweet. <laughs> Fucking Bill, man. Oh my God. It was so funny. Robert Richard George. Can we talk about him? Mm-hmm. He is the one who calls Mark out for Coven versus Coven. Mm-hmm. And he is an eccentric actor he seems to take maybe this extremely seriously but i thought he had the among the best sound bites like there was like an evil laugh it's really it's it's so fascinating i'm trying to think of who i think that this guy who he reminds me of it's like vincent price or um he's just got a real like a little bit of his sophisticated vibe a little bit of a menacing vibe. So I think he was a good choice as an actor in Coven, but he is a treat and I love him. I agree. I think he would have worked really well in like Rosemary's baby type of thing. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Upper class Satanist. I'm here for it. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So we're like two days away from the screening. They have the screening scheduled at the college I think maybe a library that was Mm -hmm. scheduled somewhere and apparently it's almost exactly three years after they started filming Mm -hmm. so 35 minutes of a film takes three years just for a conversion sake and there was an editing snafu I didn't quite understand what happened it seemed like something was missing in the middle. Like it, it was supposed to go from someone walking out of one room and into another room. And they kind of skipped the middle part and they just popped into the next room or something on accident. So not that at all, but that's just an example. So Mark right. has a bit of a depressive meltdown and his entire family and friends are in the editing room trying to get this done for him is what it looks like. Is that what you kind of got? Yes. I kind of took it as something was inadvertently cut out, right? Something is on the cutting room floor, as we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And he's like freaking out about, well, you won't pay to see this. And like kind of gives some examples, which are like, I mean, are you an artist or not, Mark? So, but the level of freak out is really not proportional to the actual issue. In my meager opinion. Right. I guess it would depend on the scene and how pivotal it was to the plot, you know. But I'm sure he was up all night working with them. But it did not look like he was. 
Um, so he was up all night stressing or something because he did not sleep the night before the premiere. Indeed. So Coven premieres 12th of June, 1997. And editing finished maybe an hour before. I don't know. I just hope they had <laughs> enough time to watch it. And you know what I mean? To make sure it looked okay before they shoved it out into the world. Right. There are tens of people in line. Yeah, absolutely. To watch this. Absolutely. <laughs> it is a small theater, but it's okay. Yeah, it looks like the whole town comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Uncle Bill shows up, the man of the hour. He lived to see it. So that's good. It's impressive because he's actively decaying in front of you. It's it's something to see this <laughs> poor guy. Right. You can, I think we talked about, or maybe we didn't, you can actually rent this. You can see it. Can you? Where? I think it's on Amazon. I'm totally going to watch it. I was telling John that I wish they would have put it at the end. It's only 35 minutes, so put it at the end of your documentary and let people watch it, you know? That would have been great. They do show um, some clips, and I don't know if I got enough to have a good impression of it. Like they kind of tied in what you saw them filming with the scenes and how they looked in there. I don't know. Once they were done. Right. Yeah. So that was interesting to see how that worked out, but it was fascinating. And I think I might have to watch it. I'm absolutely going to have to watch it. I, (laughs) it just, I, there's some things about a B rated movie, a horror movie. Mm -hmm. It just, makes me so happy. I don't know. It doesn't work so well in other genres per se, but in horror, it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. I love it. I'll totally watch it. Like maybe an expectation of campy. I don't know if that's what he was necessarily going for, but we, we accept maybe a little bit more of that. Yeah. One of Mark's brothers mentioned earlier that he wasn't sure why Mark was so convinced that people would pay to see these movies. Mm -hmm. And I, also have questions about why why this why would people buy this i mean i hope bill made his money back because he actually ends up passing away mm-hmm. on september 13th so just a couple months after the premiere of this mm-hmm. however he does leave mark fifty thousand dollars forty thousand dollars something like that to work on his next project, which is Northwestern. So I thought that was really sweet. Yes. So he must have been somewhat impressed, I guess, with the product in the end of Coven. Yeah. Or just, you know, that might have been the nephew he was closest to. And, you know, you're dying. Right. Leave money to someone that you know is going to use it for something sure. they enjoy sure. doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when it comes down to who would watch... Or why would someone watch this? You could say that about anything. I mean, I I go back to Evil Dead. Now, that did come out in the kind of the peak of horror when it was just coming back up again in the early 80s, late 70s. But it was so campy. Why did they think anyone would watch it? I mean, I think someone got sick watching it in the movie theater during the, the time where the girl was... It's been forever since I've seen that. Well, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a point where she's in the woods and there's a tree that comes to life and does not good things to her. Um, And I think someone like (laughs) passed out or got sick or something. You know what I mean? Right. 
but I don't think you make it. I don't think you go into art thinking, I'm going to do this so everyone will love it. On one hand, you would like for them to love it because, I mean, as he's talked, he would like to live in a big house and have all these things, of course. Mm-hmm. Sure. But on the other hand, you have to have that belief that the story that you're going to tell and the way that you're telling it is good enough or or you wouldn't do it at all. You wouldn't bother doing it. Right. You're making it for yourself. That's what the best art is, right? Because it, it has the authenticity mm-hmm. of the artist in mm-hmm. it. So. I don't know. That's how I feel about our pod. <laughs> <laughs> we make it for our own entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And if you care to come along for the ride, that's wonderful. Actually, it's really fun to get positive feedback. It is a blast. I will say that. So I don't know what happens with Northwestern, but I can say there is some really fun footage of Ken, Mike, and Mark in different movies as youths. And it is funny. I mean, like, Mike playing guitar, all these kids drinking, they're out in a cemetery. It's all kinds of crazy shit. And it's really fun to see them with their little sweet baby faces. Correct. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will say that if you go onto IMDb and you look Mark up, he is acted Mm -hmm. in like 41 different things, has three upcoming projects. Okay. Let's see about directing. Oh, he's written five things. Northwestern is not on there, although the name could have changed. Um, yeah, working title versus final. Yeah, and he's directed five things with one upcoming project. So he's still he's still doing it. I mean, he's still doing what he wants to do. Is he able to make a living off of it? I don't know. I don't know that he's the main character in any of these things that he played a part sure. in. But, you know, mostly horror. Good for him. Yeah. Well, I was looking up some of this stuff because I was curious as well. I did see that Mike Shank passed away in 2020. No. Yeah. Yeah. And it was talking about like what an unexpected kind of star that he was in this. Because again, I think everybody's read on him was very similar to ours that he was just, you know, a sweet cat out there in the world. So I was bummed to hear that. But uh, yeah, this was this was a really fun documentary. It was outrageous in ways. I think because the intensity of Mark and the people around him, like was mismatched. <laughs> like It's just very interesting. Yeah. A very interesting dynamic for him. So he was the one in the friend group that drove everyone else to do what they were doing. Right. I mean, he was clearly <laughs> the leader of the friend group and everyone was like, all right. And they're just yes. along for the ride. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who's your honorary Aaron for the week? I'm going to go with a, a dark horse choice here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Chris Smith was my honorary Aaron because that man, I think a man, epic patience. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, who I went with this week. Okay. I can totally get it. Okay. I chose <laughs> our best friend, Mike Shank, not necessarily because he comes in with awesome Aaron energy. He just has his very mm-hmm. own energy and he was just like along for the ride he was going to help where he could he he was almost like a real life beavis and butthead because he would laugh every time he <laughs> laughed i laughed because he was just like uh, uh, uh. and it just made me laugh every time and i loved him yeah. so much so yeah I, i'll give him a posthumous badge of honor of aaron i love that 
yeah, everybody needs to go watch this. This is so fun and low stakes, right? Like this is just a weirdo documentary about a weirdo bunch of people. And I can get behind that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's nothing mm -hmm. catastrophic that's going to happen or we're not mm -hmm. saving the world. We're not ending the world. We're just enjoying one man trying to do what he wants to do. And I do like the fact that he has continued to do what he wants to do. Again, I don't know if he can make a living at it, but at least he's part of that world and that's what he wanted. So good for him. Right. I mean, there is something to be said about holding on to your dreams and dragging everyone along with you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, next week starts spooky month. So what are we doing for our first episode of spooky month? We're going to do a documentary called Demon House. Dun, dun, dun. 2019 release. Mm -hmm. An hour and 35 minutes long. I believe this is a prime rental. I believe so. Yes, from my research. So what is a good synopsis for this as far as what you read? It's supposed to be very scary. Right. What I believe it is, is there's a house in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana, mm -hmm. Indiana. Sorry. Gary, Indiana, um, Gary, Indiana. And it's supposed to be haunted. And this cat is a ghost hunter of sorts and he buys the house mm -hmm. and I think this documentary is about him in this house and I could be totally wrong I could be making that up I think you're on track I think maybe there's some documentation from different sources mm -hmm. about the hauntings right so Probably, it's yeah. well known mm -hmm. to be haunted so yeah I'm interested I won't live there I would not go walk by it on a dark night but I will watch it mm-hmm in the safety of my own living room. I'm going to say I probably wouldn't live in Gary, Indiana as a whole, just because I don't know there'd be a job for me there. Right. It's very industrial. Yeah. So. Right on, right on. Yeah. I getcha. But yeah. Nonetheless, I'm excited for spooky month. We've got a nice little lineup going. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. I'm excited too. So I hope everyone comes along for the ride. I hope you enjoy mm -hmm. spooky month. And I don't know, I, I guess we'll go immediately to Hallmark movies after Spooky Month. I'm not sure what that transition will be. <laughs> right. We'll find out. Right. We'll find out. Yeah. So thank you for joining us today. Come check us out on all the social media and our website, godogyourself.com. And we will talk to you next week, guys. All right. Later. Bye. Bye.